Hey superstars, welcome to the Virtus Performance Podcast. Um, we have an epic episode for you guys today, so I will keep this short and sweet. Couldn't you please leave us a review, uh, load up on a five-star review for us, tell us why you enjoy the podcast, what you got out of it, that would be spectacular. Uh, if you have any negative reviews and you haven't liked it, let me know. Give me some feedback. I would love to figure out how... I can make this a better listening experience for you. Um, Before we actually get into the episode, uh, I'd like to thank today's guest, um, Brooke Holmes. She's a wonderful human being and someone who has transformed her life over the last couple of years and become an integral part in many different communities. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode in terms of belonging and understanding and, and and. being seen um, was a big was a big theme, but Brooks been through some pretty hectic times, some some harrowing times, and for us to be able to sit here and, and have this conversation is a testament to the kind of person she is and has and is becoming. Um, yeah, let's let's get stuck straight in. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lucky. Good so, to be here. This is what, five months in the making? Something like that. It's been a while. I know, it has, it has. First question for you, mm-hmm. before we start diving into everything that is everything, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, what gets me out of bed in the morning? You know what, I think the answer's probably changed a lot um, over the last couple of years, but I think um, if I can be very vague... And then be more granular. Um, purpose. I think we all need to have something that's purposeful. Um, if our lives are just about us, um, for in my case anyway, it can lead to your life being a bit sad. But I think once you can connect your life to something else or someone else or um, a higher purpose, it makes it so much easier to get out of bed in the morning. Um, and for me, I think at the moment, my life's purpose is to, to know people and to be known. So community is a really significant part of what gets me out of bed at the moment. Has that always been the way? Has it always been you? Or is it something that you've developed over the last few years? Mm. I think um, I'd like to think of myself as a people person, but I would say I'm probably like borderline introvert, extrovert. Um, but people have always mattered to me, but I think the way that they've mattered has changed. So I would say that most of my teens and probably early 20s, it was more about, um, you know, like what you can gain from relationships, how relationships make you feel. Um, But I would say, yeah, my mid to late 20s have been a really significant change in how I view the commodity of what relationships are. Um, And that's been probably one of the significant things in my life thus far that's cool talk me through that change and like what it was like going through that process and how 
mindset and feelings differ now compared to then. Yeah, cool. Jumping straight in. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. So, um... My mid twenties, um, as I said, a lot of a lot of my my late teens to early twenties was about me. It was about um, what made me feel good, what could I get out of life, um, how can I make things awesome for me, um, which was really awesome when things are going well. But when things are kind of stripped away and you've not necessarily got any of that, or people aren't making you feel good, or um, you know, your job's not making you feel good or status isn't making you feel good. What is, what's left? What's the substance that's left? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until about my, yeah, my mid-20s where, um, yeah, a few things kind of went wrong in life, went uh, a bit not to plan. And so, um, like, a couple of relationships went pretty bad. Um, I didn't, wasn't doing super well um, just emotionally, wasn't feeling good about myself. Um, there was a whole bunch of other situations that led to me being pretty anxious and pretty depressed, um, which kind of led to a massive breakdown in about, I think it was 2015, 2016, 2016, I had a massive breakdown, um, where I literally didn't get out of bed for like a week, um, had to have like a significant time off work. Um, and if I can be brutally honest, like didn't want to live anymore. Like I, life was pretty, pretty grim and, um, I think there's a whole lot of reasons that led to that moment, but one of them was being really self-absorbed in life being about me and what I was doing or not doing or gaining or not gaining. And, um, you know, when, when your focus is so much on, on yourself, uh, it can be, it can be a pretty sad thing. So yeah, I was super, super depressed. Um, really anxious. There were days where I would, um, struggle to get out of bed. And even if I did get out of bed, I'd, you know, would be exhausted after having a shower. Yeah. Would get ready to go somewhere, get in the car. Uh, there was one day I remember driving, I had something on in the city. I got pretty much to Chapel Street and then had a massive panic attack in the car because yeah, I couldn't wow. find a car park and drove all the way back. Yeah, fine. So um, I wasn't in a good way and anyone that's close to me that was a friend during that time would, would vouch for how, how terrible and selfish and um, really sad I was. But yeah, so... This might be a weird question, but do you look back on that time and those struggles and all the stuff you went through, mm. do you look back on it fondly? Um, look, I, the time itself was horrific. It was horrific for me. It was horrific for my family. I remember having a really awful conversation with my mum and dad. So my mum and dad have already lost a daughter. Um, I had a sister that passed away three months old um, yeah. through SIDS, cot death. So everyone get around Red Nose Day in June. Um, so they'd already lost a daughter. And then when I came and kind of had a conversation with them, I was like, I'm not okay. And this is what I'm, what I'm feeling. I don't want to exist anymore. Um, that's really significant for a parent to hear. Yeah. Um, what made you want to have that conversation or what made you actually have that conversation? Was it just like a, something internal saying, I need help or? I think for me, it's, um, it was not that I didn't want to live anymore. I just didn't know how to, or how to do it well, or in a way that was, um, fulfilling or life giving or meaningful. Um, and as much as, as much as I would say that during that time I was suicidal, there was only one particular night where I was like, yep, this is, this is it. And, and I think for me having that conversation with, um, and I had it with my, my parents and then probably one other person, 
um, having that conversation was a way of me going like, this is bad, I need you to know that it's bad. Um, but also, yeah, that, not that cry for help because it was never about wanting to be saved, but it was about having someone know the depths of the despair that I was in at the time. Yeah. Um, and someone that could keep an eye out and keep me accountable and love me through that. Because I think that's one of the biggest things, right? You feel, for me anyway, <clears throat> I felt so alone and so unlovable and your brain is such a powerful thing that plays so many tricks on you yeah. that it's like it's going to tell you all the worst things about yourself especially when you're in those times of despair yeah um that yeah it's, especially when you're by yourself you get into that yeah i guess downward spiral and it takes that a conversation or at least that little bit of sharing with someone to stop that or at least pause it slow it down mm-hmm well, so someone that can bring truth, for me, truth was so skewed. Like, my truth was so far from actual reality um, that I needed someone that can call me out of my bullshit. For me, I really value those people. Yeah. And this is probably, again, from that moment, but I really value the people that can be like, Brooke, like, get your shit together yeah. and call me out on it because I can go down a tangent and a path that's really awful, but having those people was such a valuable thing for me. Hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty hectic time and I think so much of our society and so many different people go through things like that in to varying degrees and, and and to different levels. What like if you could articulate some way what, what it was like to go like to have that panic attack in the car mm. for people that haven't experienced it, um, or know someone that has experienced it but isn't able to articulate to mm. them. It's obviously a couple of years down the road and you're in a much better place now, yeah. which, you know, is a cool, I guess, little reflection point to be able to stop and, you know, we'll talk about what you've done the last few months in a minute, but what advice slash um, how can you articulate what it actually felt like? It's, um, it's actually, I find it really hard and I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos of like people experiencing a panic attack or an anxiety attack or someone trying to like show visually what it looks like. I find it really hard to articulate because it is so irrational. It makes no sense. And the worst bit is, you know, in your brain that it's completely irrational, but you can't, you can't combat that. You can't in the moment. I couldn't change that thought pattern. Um, for me, it was just like physically, it was like my heart was beating out of my chest, like all the time. I just, I felt Um, I felt like people were watching me all the time I felt very exposed and very vulnerable but not in a not in the good way Mm. just in the way that was like people could see how much I was struggling and then your brain is like as we said telling you all the things that are terrible about you that are bad about you that um, you know all of that kind of stuff it's 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 so hard because you, again, you know how irrational it all is and you know that um, most of your thoughts and, and your thought patterns are, are false and it's not reality, but you can't change it. And I just, yeah, it was just such a significant time of just feeling so alone, knowing that other people are experiencing it, but, um, yeah, just feeling really alone in the middle of it too because you also don't want to burden other people with how you're feeling. And so for, for me and my friends, I didn't want to be the sad person in the friendship group yeah. I didn't want to be um you know the person that it's all about them or it's it's yeah and so I, that made me withdraw but when I withdrew from a community that loved and, yeah. and cared for me I, I would get worse and it's just an awful spiral 
there were days where like I couldn't be around my friends but um yeah I have such an incredible friendship group that they would just come over to my house and just sit like we didn't have to have a conversation I didn't want to have a conversation and if I'm honest with you I probably didn't even want them there but they knew what I needed not not what I wanted it can be two different things exactly what, what advice would you have for someone going through that yeah or you know that, that feel like they're starting to go down that path especially around the withdrawing yeah. um from friendship groups and not wanting to be a burden because i think mm-hmm. that's one of i don't know if misconceptions the right word but it's one of those areas where you're not the first person that's articulated like that to me it's mm-hmm. just i don't want to be a burden because mm-hmm. i think we forget how much people care sometimes yeah. and how readily available they are to you know shoulder that burden mm-hmm. um so i guess what advice would you have for someone going through that I mean, it's it's really simple. It's just, you you need to be able to talk to someone, and I'm not saying that you grab your whole friendship group and you <laughs> tell them exactly where you're at and yeah. you give them everything. But sometimes it's just a conversation to say, "Hey, I'm struggling. I'm yeah. not myself at the moment. Um, I just need you to know that and and you know check in with me every now and then." Um, f- for me, there was a whole bunch of ways that I kind of got out of that space, um, and it was probably. <laughs> One of the most significant ways was being in nature. So for me, yeah. I find what I connect to. Um, it was as simple as like going to the beach and I'd get in my car, drive to the beach and be exhausted by the time I got there. But I would just sit on the sand or put my feet in the water and just would feel um, not everything was okay. It wasn't fixed by putting my feet in the water. I'm not, I'm not saying that at <laughs> all, but it, it made, it took, it took my mind from a space of chaos and into a space of peace for just a moment. Mm. And as I continued that, um, that was really significant for me. And the other thing was um, having an attitude of gratitude, which who doesn't love alliteration and cheesy, <laughs> cheesy little quotes, but for me that was one of the most significant things. When I t- started to take my eyes off how I felt, my current situation, what I didn't have, what I didn't achieve, um, and started to look to the things that I did have and um, with an attitude of thankfulness, mm. um, that's when my mindset started to really change and I started to experience freedom from the things that were really shackling me and, and giving me anxiety. But, yeah, if, if, if you are someone that's, um, yeah, experiencing depression or anxiety, um, having a community or at least a person that you can kind of be with yeah. um, and be honest with is really significant. What was the process like? And this is a super ambiguous question, so take it whichever way you want. <laughs> but what was the process like going from being stuck in bed for a week mm. to this smiling, bubbly person I see, see seeing in front of me? Mm. I honestly feel like a completely different person. So it's it's really easy for me to t- like. Some people are like, "Oh wow, like you're really vulnerable and brave to talk about," you know. S- suicide and and depression and anxiety and I'm like you know I feel so separate to who that person was in 2016 that it's actually really easy for me to talk about yeah which is which is a really powerful thing because 2016 scheme of things wasn't that long ago Mm. really really close like oh I don't know I'm I feel really grateful anyway a lot's happened in that time but um one of the most significant things was probably in that um the area of community and just being able to focus on something that isn't myself. Like, I, yeah, I had a really significant trip planned for um, 20, end of 2016, 2017, I think it was. 
um, yeah, end of 2016. And that all fell through for a whole bunch of different reasons, which was really devastating for me. So it was like I experienced this awful time of like depression and anxiety and then had this awesome trip planned where I was doing, you know, America and Canada. Um, and it was like almost pinning my hopes to this thing. Yeah. Um, and it fell through. So I was like, that was a point where I could have either gone back to that place or gone, nope, like yeah. I'm using this and I'm moving forward and I'm moving on. Um, and because that trip fell through, um, that allowed me the opportunity to actually go on a different trip um, to Kenya in 2017, um, which was, again, probably the start of the next part of the, the journey for me. But, um, yeah, it was during that time of... How'd that come about? Was there a, a moment when trip one fell through mm-hmm. and, like, I don't know if you can pinpoint the moment, but where you kind of remember sitting thinking and going well, shit, do I react this way or do I react this way? Like, how did all that come about? Yeah, really significant. So it was almost like that moment. Um, And I I knew in myself, I knew that I could um, allow my emotions and my fears to take over or I could be like, nope, not today. Like, it's not happening. Um, Stick my feet in the ground and be like, onward and upward to better things and allow this to be something that doesn't break me. Um, Because I think... Yeah, resilience is such a significant part of of being okay. And even when you're not okay, having that having resilience means that you'll never be broken. You'll never be defeated by the things and the obstacles that come your way. Hmm. Um, so it was. It was a significant moment of going, no, nah, I'm not going to be broken by this. It's a thing that's happened in my life and it sucks, hmm. but um, no, nah, it's not going to defeat me. And it obviously means that there's something better along the way. Um, or something new or different for me. Do you think happiness is a choice? I think it is, yeah. So I would say, so happiness I feel like is such a, um, like a fleeting emotion. For me, I want to live a life of joy, which I feel is like a deep, it's happiness I feel like is that surface level kind of like emotion. But joy is that deep-seated like from, right from your gut, your belly, your life has purpose, you have meaning, you have connection, and I feel like that is a choice. Joy is a choice. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I want to choose it every single day. Every single day of my life, I want there to be joy. Yeah, I like that. Because I think, the, yeah, happiness, joy, like I feel that about like happiness. I mm. feel as though that we have the opportunity that even when, like I've said it a couple of times, I think on this podcast, so I apologize to everyone if I'm repeating myself but I think this is important that if you have that deep-seated happiness or joy about the opportunities that we have and the, and the mm. perspective and the gratitude and the feelings that we have to actually get that we get to yeah. do all these different things mm. that even when stuff sucks like mm. it's it, it'll, it won't suck forever yeah. even when stuff's great and you're rolling and, and you're happy mm. there you go I use that word but even when you're feeling like that, it's not going to last forever. And yeah. understanding that and having that acceptance to be like, okay, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. That's that feeling of joy. Just it's like the foundation for all that for me. Yeah. And I think if you understand that and can accept it, and just know that you know things are going to happen, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be bad, and you're going to feel good. And you know, when we look back on all the times when we're 
have we have our deepest pain and suffering, mm-hmm. usually we can look back and go, okay, well that was an amazing period of personal growth or yeah. or whatever. So. And yeah. most people I talk to say the same thing. Like, you wouldn't want to experience it again, but you wouldn't change it because that's shaped the next season or mm. it's shaped who you are now. And, like, that's my story. I would never want to experience it again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah. But if those things didn't happen, I wouldn't be sitting here being as confident, um, being as joyful, um, and being as free as I am right now. So I just would never change it. Tell me about that first trip to Kenya in 2017 yeah wow so um yeah after the America trip fell through um it's crazy how this happened and I still can't even really figure it out but um so my mum has been going to Kenya um for about 12 years now she has her own organization that takes small groups of people on short-term mission trips um to Kenya to Thailand and um does a bunch of stuff um, locally as well. So my mum has a massive heart of mercy and wanting to see, you know, social justice and change around the world. Incredible woman. Shout out to Mama Kaz. Ding. Um, so yeah, she's been doing it for years and I had, uh, it was always really good for her. I remember being like in my teenage years and she just kind of started doing it and I'm like, that's really good for you, but it's <laughs> not for me. Um, and I remember feeling like as if you'd leave your own children to go and spend time with other children around the world. Like, how rude. Um, but wow, first I, of all. I know. Good. This goes to show, like, what I, where my mental state was as where an 18-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Something changed in me, and I can't even pinpoint what it was or when it was, but I just knew I wanted to go. I remember hearing all the stories from my mum and... All of a sudden, she'd be, you know, doing the Uncle Arthur, showing us the photos on the computer and um, telling the stories of these kids. And, like, I would be getting emotional. Like, what are these? Like, what are these tears? These have never happened before. Yeah. And then, like, all of a sudden, things just started happening. There was people who wanted to um, support me to go. Um, and I don't know whether that's because they maybe knew part of the, the story beforehand yeah. and all of that. Um, but people... people yeah, really wanted me to be there. And as, as other people wanted me to be there, I wanted to be there more. And all of a sudden I find myself in October, 2017, getting on a plane to go to Kenya for two and a half weeks. Yeah. And it was, yeah, the most life changing experience of my life. Elaborate on that. You don't know what to expect. For me, I'd never, I'd done up until that point, I'd been on one overseas trip. Yeah. I'd been to America after I graduated high school for a month with my family because they didn't want me to go on schoolies. I had the choice. <laughs> Mum and dad were like, cool, you can do schoolies or you can come on a fully paid trip to America. And yeah. I was like... Tactical by them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, jumped on the plane and off I went. And it was, yeah, again, the most incredible experience of my life. There's went to a place called Haruma Children's Home, um, which is a basically a boarding school um, for children who are either orphaned or... Um, don't have families or don't have safe families Um, and it's an education facility um, as well as a home and spent two weeks there two and a half weeks there um, with I think there was about nine of us ten of us Um, and yeah basically did everything from spend time with the kids listen to their stories play games with them kick a footy um, we also did some project-based stuff so we did uh, something called adopt a basket where um, we filled up about, I think it was about 400 baskets um, of locally purchased goods, um, which would feed a family, small family of four for about a month. 
so we did projects like that um, on the first trip and then yeah it was just incredible these kids we talk about resilience I tell you what resilience and joy you won't find more of that in these kids and these are children that have horrific backgrounds Um, I mean obviously yeah I went back this year and got to spend a bit more time there um, and heard a whole bunch more stories Um, but even that first trip I remember um, meeting a small girl um, who is still one of my favorite little little legends ever she um, her mum is quite mentally ill um, works at the home um, and she's there with her two sisters but her mum can't really care for them so she they the children live at the home and her mum works there and so her mum every day will leave the home to go back home and come back and work for the day and yeah. um, her mum's in a position where she um, yeah can't can't care for them so they see her but they're not in that home family relationship and yeah. um, and all of the interesting things that that brings along but yeah it, it was an incredible trip that that changed my life and and changed the trajectory of the next season of life for me tell me about that next season and how I guess because you probably would have experience the trip and I guess those kind of trips it's hard to reflect especially two and a half weeks Mm. it's hard to reflect during what was that period of reflection like when you got home yeah so I actually didn't come home yeah the the heart one of the best and hardest things was I had this awesome two and a half weeks in Kenya and then I had a trip around the UK and Europe afterwards yeah yeah so I was away for six weeks in total um then spent a month traveling afterwards and so it was Weird, because everyone talks to you about culture shock. You know, you initially get there and the the shock of what you're experiencing and seeing and tasting and smelling and hearing. And then reverse culture shock, um, which, you know, coming back to your own situation and and place of living and that time of processing what you're Mm. experiencing. Um, For me, it was really different. I'm an external processor. Like, I figure out how I feel when I'm having a conversation or when I'm journaling or whatever that might look like. Same. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is is my jam. I love this kind of thing. Let's talk about what I've experienced so I can understand me more. (laughs) Yeah, good. Um, But, yeah, so I was still in Kenya, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I was coming back. Like, I hadn't even left. I think it was maybe a week in, and I was like, I'm coming back. And I'm going to be here for a significant period of time. Yeah. Um, so I had that in the back of my brain. Always knew I was going to be back. But then once I got on, on the plane and I was on a plane to Scotland, Edinburgh, it's like, okay, I've experienced what I've experienced. I've seen some of Kenya's most vulnerable young people. Um, I've seen, you know, the Kibera slums where there's over a million people living in corrugated iron homes. I've seen, um, you know, places that don't have access to running water and the um, gong slums where they're living in um, their trash. Yeah. But I've also seen the joy and the resilience of, of that community. And now I'm a privileged white Australian going to experience the world because I can, you know, like it's, it's, it was really hard for me to consolidate the two parts of my trip yeah and I needed to stop viewing them as two parts and view them as one experience yeah um which yeah was was difficult um I was lucky obviously with my mum having gone there a fair bit I was lucky to be able to just continue the conversation with her and debrief with her 
but then I was able to use my time as opposed to feeling really bad about the opportunity that I was given to travel, yeah. use that time to really process. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's, that's something that the first thing I thought of was, okay, did you look at that Europe trip as an opportunity or did you look at it as like, I shouldn't be doing this and you kind of feel that guilt around it? Yeah, I, I initially I thought I was going to and then I was like, you know what, I... There's, I've experienced so much in my own life that I can't be robbed of the opportunity that lies here yeah. because of some, because of how I feel. I can't fix the issues of poverty. I can't fix the issues of social justice, but I can do something. And I always knew that after that first trip um, to Kenya, my partnership there will be lifelong. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And that's, just how I want to live my life. I like that a lot. What was, what was the, I guess, planning and subsequent like return home after that six weeks? Yeah. What was that like? Cause obviously you, you know, you've come back to that life that was not the most stable thing in the world before you left. Mm-hmm. And you've come back to it with all this new set, newfound sense of, I guess, perspective mm-hmm. and understanding of, what else is happening in the world? How did that affect how you lived your life when you came back? Um, Yeah, pretty significantly, I would say. I mean, I probably didn't look that significant from the outside, but internally, like, it was just such a significant change. As I said, I knew while I was still there that I wanted to go back. So I came back, and it was, like, that night that I was telling my family I'm going back, and it's going to be for at least three months. Um, And so I got back end of November. By the January, I had told both my bosses that I by the August would be resigning like I gave them so much notice but I would resign um because this is what I feel like is meant to be so it was weird having like eight nine months of notice knowing that there's this time that I'm going um and yeah still having to work and save and do all of that kind of thing but knowing that my heart was like this is what this season's about I had something to work towards because I knew I wanted to go back but there'd be more, a more significant purpose to the next trip back. Yeah. Um, but the day-to-day stuff, it's hard. Like, I came back with, you know, the dirt on my feet from my first trip and it was almost like the dirt never left. Like, it set in, it seeped, set, seeped, seeped into my skin. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one. Yeah. I'm not sure. It got into my skin and just never left. The, the stories, the faces just imprinted onto my heart in a really significant way. Yeah. Um, and I get it. Not everyone feels the the call to Africa and be with the children and not everyone feels the call to environmentalism, but we've all got something that we're passionate about. And I think once you find out what that is, that's something, that's something that's external to personal gain. That's something that's external to, um, you know, what I can get out of life. Once we find that thing, I think that is such a significant point in life and I think and a significant part about being a well-adjusted adult is that you <laughs> having, know, having like, a thing having a thing that's not about you um yeah I think that's such a significant thing and that is one of the things that I think has changed the trajectory of my my life elevator pitch could you articulate your thing You know what? I'm probably not right now. I'm still, I mean, I'm fresh off my second trip yeah. um, and I'm still processing and I, I don't know. I just, not in a neat, tidy little bow, but uh, for 
life ain't eating tidy, so go nuts. I think for me, my life is about um, my thing. My thing is about helping people to feel seen and understood and known um, and valued. Um, people did that for me when I was in my, my moments of, of depression and anxiety. And um, I think when we're vulnerable, we just want to feel known. And, um, you know, it doesn't get more vulnerable than orphans and widows. Yeah. And that's my thing. I just want people to know, people around the world, to know that they're valued and seen um, especially with you know these kids with the stories that they have, they're important. They matter, mm. and um, they need, they everyone should be given the opportunities that we have. You know, education so significant, but yeah, I want people to know that they're valued. How is that thing different to what it would have been if I asked you say five years ago? It would have been about how I can feel seen and understood. I felt so misunderstood, you know, in my early twenties, late teens. Um, it was all about how people could, how I could get people to understand my perspective and who I am. Um, you know, and I'm still figuring that out. Mm. I would say now more than ever, I know who I am. I know how I'm wired and, and I'm not only that, but I'm confident in that. Um, but yeah, that's probably been flipped on its head. You know, as you continue to take your eyes off yourself, you kind of see the needs of the world and the needs of people around you. Um, and it puts things into perspective sometimes. We all need a healthy dose of humility and, um, you know, we might be the centre of our own world, but we're not the centre of the world. And then there are people that have greater needs and greater struggles than us. And it doesn't lessen what we experience. It doesn't lessen our own needs and desires and, and um, experiences. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to understand that it is, it is all relative. Like all yeah. of the, the struggle and the suffer that we are, suffering that we all go through mm. just, you know, there's horrific. And then there's, you know, what would some people would see as a regular struggle, but we all experience it as the worst, worst thing we've been through potentially 100%. or one of, or, you know, whatever. So I think it's really important to understand that. And I think having been, I've never experienced one big chunk in a single community but mm -hmm. being fortunate enough to travel different parts of the world really mm -hmm. really low socioeconomic areas and to see how people live mm -hmm. and to see the contrast in terms of opportunity and i guess materialistic positions mm -hmm. positions possessions compared to what we have here but then to see the contrast in in happiness and smiles and joy and yeah and appreciation for what they do have it's mm. it's so i don't know it's one of those things that it really interests me and, and it's really easy to forget mm. that there's that you know there's those other parts of the world where people are yeah going through those things and i think too like one of the questions that i get asked a lot is you know were you sad for them mm. no i was sad for myself like i the tears that i was crying when i was there you know yes there are horrific stories and all of that but i wasn't crying because they're lacking you know, I come back here and, and I, I feel sad for us. I feel sad for the things that we've prioritised and, and the things that, you know, uh, we think will bring us joy and fulfilment. Um, and it's just the Western way of living is so different. Um, I, don't, I don't feel sad for them I, at all. I, I look at their lives and I look at the community that they have. Um, it's so deep and rich and the joy that they experience and the faith that they have um, and the hope that they have despite situations and 
as a result, the resilience that they have. Mm. I'm like, oh, we could all use a dose of that. We could all use a dose of that. Yeah, I think it's important. Like that resilience comes from experiencing some horrific things and comes from being able to develop coping mechanisms as they grow and as they as mm. they go and I think for for you to be able to I guess dive into that that community and hear the stories and you know experience it through their voices and through their eyes mm. it's um it's a pretty powerful thing what are the you know obviously there's there'd be thousands of stories mm. but what are there some stories that stick out that you'd be able to share their experiences mm. through your experience yeah yeah um again there's a lot of stories and um like to be honest there was a lot of kids that told me their stories and had never told anyone before um and there's Kenyan men especially don't cry and so when you've got um you know an 18 year old guy telling you his story of how he ended up at Haruma the children's home and and um you know, the situation of what led him to that place and he's in tears, like, you know that that's a significant thing. You know that um, that level of trust that's built to be able to get to the point of someone telling their story for the very first time is such a significant thing. And I, I, um, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> you are more than welcome to cry. <laughs> yeah, that's just something that I'll never forget. Yeah. It's really significant. And, um, yeah. <clears throat> but, um... So, yeah, at the home, there are about 16 children that are living with HIV at the moment. One of the most significant days of the trip was the day that we went to the HIV clinic with these students. Um, uh, The clinic itself is in Kibera. So if you know anything about Africa, Kibera is one of the biggest slums in Africa, housing, you know, houses over a million people. And as I said, corrugated iron homes, um, limited access to clean water there's no kind of rubbish disposal other than the rubbish being burnt which is pretty common in Kenya um so it was a really significant day um anyway but yeah then one of the children told me her story and um she obviously has HIV when her stepfather found out that she had HIV as a young child he threw battery acid all over her um trying to to kill her um and so she's now um, quite disfigured um, and has scars on her face and her body um, but is yeah, again one of the most beautiful kind loving girls that I've ever met and so again you, you, you hear these stories and you see the person that's in front of you and you find it hard to find that connection it's almost like the stories are so significant um, and so raw that it's really hard in the moment to be like, to comprehend it. I can't comprehend um, someone feeling like that's an appropriate response at all. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of hundreds of stories. There is stories of of abandonment. There was, there's a small child, a baby um, under the age of one that's at the home at the moment that I believe um, was born in a forest and left in the forest. Wow. And how that child wasn't eaten by hyenas, I have no idea. Yeah. Like surely by the grace of God or something, you know, a small child, yeah. Um, yeah, abandonment, abuse of a physical variety. There's, you know, step parents, parents, all kinds of different family members and close people who just take advantage of situations and then obviously um 
sexual abuse as well, which is quite significant. So, yeah, every child has a story. Not all of them sound the same. Not all of them are, are as horrific, but every child has a story. And um, once you start to hear some of the stories and connect with these kids, it's pretty hard not to fall in love with them. But then again, we all have a story, right? <laughs> We've all got our stories and they're not going to look the same, but mm. they're significant. Yeah. Um, and they're ours. And um, one of the things that is really beautiful about the African culture is that vulnerability and that willingness to share. And I would love to see that be a thing here too. <laughs> you know? Do you think it's changing? I think it is. I think it is. Slowly. Um, I don't know. It is in the circles that I run in. Um which is really good because I love sharing. I love talking about this kind of stuff. I love um, talking about people's experiences and, and getting to know them better because I feel like I can't do surface level anymore. I, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough for me. I mean, and there'll always be people that aren't, you don't go to that deeper place with, but for me, I want to find those deep-spirited friends, those friendships where people can call you out on your bullshit because they know you, because they know your story. And, um, yeah. I think it is changing and I think that's a beautiful thing. 100%. I think if those circles that share or that people are vulnerable and that they share things and, and share their fears and desires and mm. hopes and dreams and all that kind of stuff, then all you're going to do by showing that vulnerability is attract other people that want to show that. Yeah. You know, that whole, that whole service level thing, the small talk thing, like I get it. I think mm. it's... I feel the same way a lot of the time and I think it's you know it's important to be able to be polite and have a conversation yeah. with someone but at the same time you know if you spend your whole week talking about the weather you're going to get to the end of the week and nothing's changed yeah um, I think it's really important to be able to learn through experience of experiences of other people and experiences mm. of yourself but then like you said if you're able to have these these conversations if you're able to put it all out in a journal then it helps you process it yeah um and that vulnerability is something that I've noticed myself and staff and clients and the Virtus family, the people, when they are vulnerable, like those barriers that they've put either put in front of themselves or imagined in front of themselves, they, mm. they tend to crumble away pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for you. It's for other people too. Yeah. That freedom and permission you give other people to be unapologetically themselves is so significant. I think um, I spent too long calling myself an emotional person. I'm so emotional um, and saw that as such a negative thing. It was like that switch of going like, yeah, I'm emotional, but I'm passionate. And emotional doesn't have to mean crying. Like I cry all the time. I cry. If I'm not between a four and a seven on the emotional scale, I'm crying. I'm crying when I'm happy. I'm crying when I'm sad. Um, But I think when we can kind of be vulnerable enough with ourselves and with other people, it gives them permission to do the same. And I think only good can come of that. Yeah, 100%. What are the things that, I guess you talked about the circles that you that you run in. What are those circles and how have you found them to be beneficial in terms of like finding your people? Mm. Yeah, I think they've, they've changed a bit, but also not at the same time. So I probably have like a, a core group of friends who... Um, have kind of been around for the last maybe 10 plus years Um, and they're easy friendships like these are deep friendships but they're easy so um, I'm not going to list them all but for the ones that you do know like Sam and Eliza have been yeah and the twins um, have been such a significant part of my life 
for the last 10 plus years. Yeah. Um, they're, they're people that are like no bullshit, no judgment um, type friends. Like I could turn up to their house at four o'clock in the morning being an absolute mess and they would just be completely fine with it. Um, they're people that like are with me and celebrating the wins, but also in the trenches with me when I'm, you know, struggling and, and need a comrade. Um, and, and knowing that you've got that is almost enough. Like mm. even when you're not experiencing the crap stuff, knowing that you've got those people around you is such a significant thing. Um, I think now as, as I'm an adult and, and processing what friendships look like, it's less about quantity and more about quality. Like I want good people in my life. I don't care if I have, you know, a tiny group of friends, if they're the right people for me, yeah. I'm about it. And that's enough for me. But I think it's also about finding the communities that aren't just based around, um, friendships. So like, Oh, without giving you too much of a big head, Virtus has been really significant for me um, because it's a different community outside of the one that's been, you know, that 10 plus years. It's fresh, it's different, but it's also fulfilling purpose in another aspect as well. So Virtus kind of came along at a time where um, like there needed to be a change in my life in a physical aspect, but I also didn't realise how much um, the kind of... Uh, community side of it was needed as well something fresh and um, different in that aspect and so that's been a really significant addition to my world awesome. as well I mean I sent you that text message the other day like made after, me feel warm fuzzy and stuff. Uh, I'm so glad that's what it's about right after three months well four and a half months in Kenya um, and building the community and the relationships that I built there like Oh, man, I've been struggling so hard since being back because it was such a significant time. But then knowing that I had like a Virtus to come back to where it's a like different community, but it's community nonetheless has been um, been really awesome and it's made that adjustment um, less painful. Yeah, maybe not less painful. It's easier. Yeah. Definitely. Talk, talk to me about that four and a half months because it wasn't planned as four and a half months initially, no. right? Yeah. So I planned to go over to Kenya this year, uh, 2018, for three months. And the three months that I was going to spend there had a purpose. Um, so it was going to be three months of um, using my skill set and my passions and abilities to help Haruma tell their story. Um, so my background is administration and a bit of marketing. Um, so I would work with their office team, as well, obviously, as well as spending time with the kids, which was super high priority for me. Um, was to spend time in the office with their office team and kind of help them engage in social media, um, the use of like newsletters and whatnot to be able to tell their story, which was awesome. So we yeah. did that for three months. Um, it was really significant. We were able to get a whole bunch of new supporters for the home. Um, there was people from overseas who were, you know, wanting to donate. It was came at a really significant time for the home. They were really struggling financially just because of some... Um, uh, American sponsors who were changing how they were doing things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were, through the use of like we set them up on Mailchimp. They were initially sending a Word document as an attachment for their newsletter, which was yeah. like crazy. But yeah, we set them up on like an e-newsletter. We started doing some more videos, um, told some of the stories of the kids, showed the home more, talked to Mama Zipporah, who again is the most incredible woman that I know. Um, Shout out to Mama Zip. Uh, yeah, and then from that, like, Kenyans would come with what they had. This is the other thing, right? Generosity. Kenyans that, that would 
come in massive groups and give what they had, whether it was um, clothes, whether it was a bag of rice, whether it was, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of food, they would come with what they had because they saw a need. Yeah. Um, again, that's something to think about for us Westerners. What are we doing when we see the needs of the people around us? Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and it was really significant the three months that we were doing that. But then it, as my D-Day for going home approached, I just didn't feel ready and I was like, oh, is this just because I know I miss everyone? Yeah. Is this just because, um, you know, that it's sad to leave? But I just couldn't shake the fact that I didn't think I was meant to go home. So I was processing what that looked like and talking to a couple of other volunteers that were there at the time and Mamas of Hora. And we figured out that when I left, there would be, even though I was training up someone to do the stuff that I was doing, we recognised that there would still be a bit of a significant gap um, and what I was setting up wasn't as sustainable as it could be. Anyway, long story short is we kind of came up with a plan um, and I created a idea that I pitched to Mama for a social media internship that would be directed at one of the graduating students of the um, year 12s, yep. um, at a student who isn't necessarily strong academically, but um, is creative, is good with technology, is able to tell a story. Let's use those skills, train them up to be able to step into a position a paid position um, in 2019 that they can partner with the home in this internship and continue the work that we've been doing the three months before. So we created the Haruma social media internship and that's why I stuck around for an extra month and a half to be able to spend one-on-one time training training up um, the social media intern, which is so good because, I mean, he's incredible. His name's David, he's funny, he's cheeky, he's really good at what he does yeah. um, and he will be able to tell the Haruma story better than anyone having lived there, been there, breathed it yeah. in, yeah, so that's that's that. What was it like having the first couple of months obviously being, obviously you're not, not out of the community for that last month and a half, but obviously the first couple of months was heavily based around the community and, and immersing yourself and, mm-hmm. and being a part of that and helping in a wider range and then going to kind of one person and mentoring for for that last Mm. month and a half what was it like with that shift did it did it change perspective or thought patterns or anything like that not really I mean the person that we selected for the role um which was there was a process in that anyway but this person that ended up being selected was probably someone that I'd already built a really strong connection with um which you know, it was so good. It was so good to be able to be like, yeah, I know you, I know your skills. Um, we have a friendship already and we just believe in you. So we're able to just completely invest in him. Um, it was, it was easy. It felt really natural and it felt really easy and, um, it was really enjoyable. Like it was, we made it fun. Like we were able to go around and, and film the kids singing Merry Christmas and, and joy to the world and, you know, like getting ready for Christmas stuff. And we were able to, um, go out and take photos in Gong, the local town, and, um, you know, share a meal together. And, and, you know, these, he became like a best friend. Like I FaceTimed him for an hour last night. Like how good's technology? I don't know what we did before being able to just FaceTime people from around the world. It was hard in the sense of, um, like the community and the friendships that I was building. It's not that they became secondary, but the focus for that month and a half was David. Um, and so some of the younger ones saw me a little bit less um, and that was hard for them. Um, but whenever I was available, I was with the kids. 
as soon as as soon as we were done with training for the day it was like out playing soccer with the kids and awesome. you know I taught them baby shark and every time I'd step <laughs> out of the guest house support little Zipporah would say Brookside baby shark baby shark and I just had to tell them no baby shark's sleeping I can't deal with baby shark anymore baby shark is asleep um, but <laughs> yeah it was really good I think <clears throat> coming back um, obviously you'd had these last maybe 12 months kind of experiencing um, Kenya for the first time, mm. coming back and basically straight away going, this is what I'm going to be doing, mm. having eight months to, to work and, and, and look forward to something. What was it like coming back and how did you prepare for, I guess, your re-entry into this part of the world? Mm. Mate, it's been so hard. Like I've been back for a week now. Um, and I'm still figuring it out and it's, it's partly still jet lag, but it's also <laughs> partly because like, oh man, I just miss it. I yeah. miss it so much. Like I said, if someone was to give me a chunk of money, I'd be back on a plane stat. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I have an incredible job to step into this year, which I'm so excited about. Um, I have an awesome new home that I'm in at the moment. Um, but my God, my heart's still in the Gong Hills. Like I, I can't, can't shake it. And so it's figuring. It's been out. a week, mate. Be a I know. Question. And this it's probably never gonna not be there. Right. And this is what I said. Like it's, it's being kind enough to myself to go like, okay, there is gonna be a grief process, and I probably wasn't aware of how much it would affect me being back because I knew all the things I've got to look forward to. You know, like Christmas yeah. and summer, if the sun wants to come out. You know, New Year's and the new job and all of that kind of stuff. There's so much good stuff happening. Um, I just probably thought that that would overshadow the grief of leaving mm. um but it's significant how i feel right now is is significant and it won't always feel like this i hope <laughs> but there will always be something there and yeah. as i said this is this is something i feel is a lifelong partnership and it won't always look like living in kenya sometimes it will look like being a pen pal or yeah. facetiming you know or sponsoring a child or whatever it might be but it's a it's a lifelong partnership and yeah, as, as I continue to kind of grieve not being present with that community, um, it's just being kind to myself in the process, which mm. I'm aware of. But I'm, being I'm, aware of and then being able to feel it and, and act upon it and believe it is the two different, both, four different things. Like my house at the moment is just filled with African music. I'm waiting for the chance for me to chuck on my, my African playlist at Virtus and just like, yeah, just any opportunity to be able to talk about it and continue to process it. Yeah, I know Mitch is like, oh, did you go to Africa? Did you go to Kenya? It's like, yes, and let me talk about it for the next yeah, six months. And that, and that, oh, that, that, that's a joke that started when Coop went to the UK, which apparently Coop went to the UK for a while. Oh, I did. Um, yeah, he's been bringing it up for the last 12, 18 months. Um, <laughs> Mitch went to the US as well. We're, we're pretty aware of that. Did he watch a baseball game? Oh, no. Mate, he turned into a baseball. <laughs> I guess, is it, on that note, is it difficult... Because all you would want to talk about, I'm sure, is Kenya, right? Mm. Yeah, you'd want to process and mm. and 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 help other people experience it through you and and all these different things. Is it hard to kind of like, not that you need to, but is it hard to like bite your tongue and kind of go, okay, well maybe people don't want to hear about it every minute of every day? Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. 
Uh, but I'm super aware of it. Yeah. So um, not everyone wants to hear about it. And not everyone, even when they do want to hear about it, people don't understand. Mm. They'll try to, but yeah. they, you know, they'll mean so well, but they won't understand because, you know, they weren't there. They didn't live it and breathe it and smell That's it. a good point for everyone's experiences right. and problems and, and struggles ever, I mm-hmm. think. It's being able to, you know, listen and try to understand, but having that knowledge that no one's going to get it 100%. Mm. Um, but for me, I'm so lucky. So um, for both trips, my mum was there for a period of time. So while I was there for the four and a half months, my mum came with a team of people. Yeah. Um, one of whom is one of my very good friends, Sophie. Um, <laughs> I just am looking for excuses to hit the bell now. Um, and so I've got good people who have been there and, yeah. and understand. And if I didn't have that, I would find it really hard. Um, I'm still finding it really hard, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's easier knowing that there's people that have been there and done it, um, maybe not for four and a half months, but mm. know the community and are happy to look at photos and, and yep. hear how I'm feeling. And um, yeah, but it's still hard. It's still really hard. You, I, it's almost like I want people to understand because, um, you know, this is something that's significant to me. And so having other people understand that is cool. But at the same time, not everyone's going to be as passionate about the orphans and widows in Africa as they are about animals or, you know, and we need people passionate about all different things. I understand. I think it's really important to never, you know, put it, trying to put a dampener or put something over the top of your passion and what you're actually really passionate about. Like, you know, whether it is single use plastics or mm. whether it's, you know, what you're passionate about, whether it's what I'm passionate about, if you can find that thing that I use the term, set your soul on fire and yeah. give it out to the world, then, like carry on if you haven't found that thing keep looking because you'll get there eventually and encourage yeah encouraging people to pursue that whatever it is for them yeah um but that doesn't mean that yours is more significant or less significant than anyone else's it's just different Mm. i think it's like like we were talking about before once you find that thing for you like pursue it with everything that you have um and that's not only good for the community that you're partnering with but it's good for you yeah takes your eyes off yourself and your own little bubble and and into the you know the needs that our world has and i think only good can come from that 100 percent. tell me about your parents (gasps) they are actually the best people that i know (laughs) i know like people have different relationships with their parents and whatnot but like in all honesty my parents are probably the coolest parents that exist so um i've always been really close with my parents um my I've grown up maybe in a different environment than most people. So my dad is a pastor of a church. So I grew up in a, a pretty Christian background. Um, they walked through the first church we went to with me as a baby in their arms, and we didn't leave that particular church until I was about seventeen years old. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've always kind of had a really cool, um, like uh, grounding in like morals and and um, encouragement and love, like such a loving family. Um, but now as an adult, like being able to choose how that relationship looks with my family um, is so significant. I just my dad is one of my best mates. Like I made him change the dates of when he was playing. My parents are moving into state, which is again going to be so significantly hard, but made dad change the dates he's moving so we could have a last Boxing Day test together, watch the cricket, amazing, sink a few frothies and just enjoy the day. Um, but, yeah, we just get along so well. My parents are staying with me at the moment before they move and um, they I know that they would do anything for me. They're my biggest supporters and always have been. 
always have been. I, there's never a time where I felt like I haven't made my parents proud. Even when I've been a little shit and made really poor choices, I've never questioned, um, never questioned their love for me, which, again, has been such a significant part of just feeling released to make choices, whether good, bad or ugly. I know that I've always got a good, good family behind me. I love that. Yeah. How's your, I guess, growing up in a Christian household, how's your mm-hmm. faith affected who you are and who you've become and who you're becoming? Mm. Um, I would say that for, like, I was all about it for my younger years. I think it's like there gets to a point, if you've grown up in a, a, a religious, religious, I don't like that word, if you've grown up in, like, a, a Christian family, there gets a point in your life where you're like, this needs to be mine. If this is if this is true, if I believe this to be truth, it needs to not be something that has been taught to me by whoever, my family, whatever. Yeah. It, it needs to become a choice that I've made. Um, and probably, like, I went through a, a good few years of rebellion in my, like, late teens, early 20s, which, like, more often than not, tell you what, pastors, kids, they're, they're a crazy bunch. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so where I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't know what I believe. I don't know where it all sits. Um, like, a bit of rebellion against what my parents believed. Yeah. But I think it was more, I would say that, like, I've always had a faith and always had a belief in God um, and, like, always loved the person of who Jesus is and the Bible and stuff and the way that he lived his life was all about other people. And so that was really significant for me um, as far as, like, someone of character. But it wasn't until I had my massive breakdown um, that I was like, it needs to be less about what I believe in my head and more about how I'm living my life. And this needs to become, um, like, a significant action as opposed to just a belief um and so it's always been something that's there and something that I'm passionate about but I think post post the breakdown I was like yeah this is a reality for me um and it's not just going to be about something that makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy it's going to be something that's going to change my lifestyle um and yeah I think since then um it's probably something that's been kind of setting my setting my soul on fire and and increased passion for people and a kindness for myself and um yeah it's I would say faith is definitely something that gives my life purpose I don't think that I could have done the last season that I did in Kenya and hearing the stories that I did without you know and seeing the way that they live their life like Haruma is such a significant place of faith you know and I I look at these kids and if they didn't have that faith grounding or that something to believe in I would would hate to think of where their life would be because I think that you know we talk about how um healing and having that space to process is really significant for resilience I believe that absolutely is true but I think especially in this community having that faith is significant for healing and is significant for resilience and significant for joy. So I would rock up to their Sunday services <laughs> at the church and, like, I've never seen kids jump like they've jumped. Like, there is a deep joy that comes out when they just are, you know, being free in what they believe and, and um, it's a really beautiful thing. So I'm, I'm constantly challenged um, 
by what I believe, like especially in the climate of where we live, you know, in the time that we live at the moment and all the questions. I have more questions than answers. I'm okay in that space. Even as someone that's kind of grown up in the faith, I continually have questions and I continually, um, you know, have very heated conversations with God and, and other people around like what I believe and why I believe what I believe. And um, there was a time where I didn't ask questions um, and that was really unhealthy, but I think as long as we're asking questions, even if they're really tough and even if we don't have the answers, um, I think that's a really healthy space to be. I like that. Mm. Cool. I have three questions for you to finish up. Mm-hmm. What are you proud of? I'm proud of myself. And that sounds real cheesy and probably maybe a little bit cocky. But my God, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that and say that confidently. Mm. I am so proud of who I am. <laughs> I don't want to get emotional again. That's such a weird thing to get emotional about. That's not. But like the last few years have been the most devastating and the most beautiful of my life. And I just feel really proud of the fact that I just didn't give up. When everything in me was telling me to give up, I'm just really glad that I didn't. And I'm proud of that. I love that. Those two words don't have to be opposing things I think not at all and it's oh yeah yeah that's I'll leave it there <laughs> twice mm. what are you confident about what are you most confident about um I'm so confident that this world is full of beauty and is full of beautiful people and beautiful things and after coming back from Kenya like even more so than ever before you know after seeing tough stuff you also see the beauty behind it as well I'm fully confident that this world is beautiful um, and there are incredible people here and I'm confident that 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 will continue to be the case as we take our eyes off ourselves and look to others good answer what are you most excited for 2019 (laughs) I feel like every year since 2017 after that significant time in my life in 2016 um every year for me has gotten bigger and better and I just have such high hopes for 2019 for myself um for my community and just in general 2019 is going to be a really big and awesome year and I say bring it on awesome another question Mm -hmm. I couldn't finish on three what (laughs) so one of the things you said to me early on was you had to discern between Old Brook and New Brook, mm-hmm. right? And I thought it was really powerful. So if Old Brook was sitting in the position I am now and you're looking across the table at Old Brook, what would you say to her? Oh, that's... Wow, that's a really big question. I would just say you're worth it. You're worth pushing through. You're worth investing in um you are worth taking the time um and you are so much greater and so much less significant than you realize (laughs) like it's that paradox of being so significantly insignificant right (laughs) which is i love having that conversation with people because i think meaning comes from our significant lack of meaning right yeah yeah and that was the probably like the most frustrating thing, but it was so significant. Like I'm everything, but I am nothing. Um, and it was when I kind of started to wrap my head around that, that things changed. But I would just say, poor little Brooke, like 
take your eyes off the ground, be confident in who you are and, you know, hold your head up high, walk with confidence and um, just you wait, just you wait, yeah. stick it out and just watch what happens. Your life is about to be set on fire in the most significant way and um, it's not because of anything you've done. It's not because of anything that you are. It's just because it is what it is and as we continue to, you know, walk through life and make choices that are, will bring us joy and bring others joy, it's, yeah, it's significant. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having a chat and thanks for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. 100%. How can people get around Haruma? How can people find a sponsored child? Mm-hmm. How can people start to see and experience in smaller ways the world that you have experienced awesome so i would love to talk about it um but if you wanted to just jump online and check it out um haruma children's home uh is on facebook as well as my mum's organization that organizes the child sponsorship so that's go beyond all borders um both have websites and both are on facebook otherwise i'm always up for a coffee and a chat good brooke Thanks again. Thanks, Lucky.